Hello, everyone. It's November 8th, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast, where each day we are making progress in reading through all 66 books of the Bible. My name is David McAdam, and I'm pleased to be your host and hopefully make your navigation of today's passages easier as I highlight important observations that you won't want to miss. My goal is to help you see how each of these passages that we read connect with the overarching theme of God's redemptive work in history, culminating in the perfect work of His Son. We continue reading the book of Ezekiel today, and we're seeing how the prophet spells out the accountability of each individual soul in regard to their own idolatries. However, in the New Testament passage, we will once again see how we have a sin-bearing substitute making a once-and-for-all sacrifice as our great high priest. Hallelujah, we have a perfect Savior in Jesus Christ who delivers us from the penalty of sin, but also intercedes for us that we might be delivered from the power of sin and one day the very presence of sin. So let's get started by reading the first of today's passages from the one-year Bible from the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel, beginning with chapter 18, verse 1. The soul who sins shall die. Ezekiel chapter 18. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. If a man is righteous and does what is just and right, If he does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman in her time of menstrual impurity, does not oppress anyone, but restores to the debtor his pledge, commits no robbery, gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with a garment, does not lend at interest or take any profit, withholds his hand from injustice, executes true justice between man and man, walks in my statutes, and keeps my rules by acting faithfully, he is righteous, he shall surely live, declares the Lord God. If he fathers a son who is violent, a shedder of blood, who does any of these things, though he himself did none of these things, who even eats upon the mountains, defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor and needy, commits robbery, does not restore the pledge, lifts up his eyes to the idols, commits abomination, lends at interest and takes profit, shall he then live? He shall not live. He has done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon himself. Now suppose this man fathers a son who sees all the sins that his father has done. He sees and does not do likewise. He does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife, does not oppress anyone, exacts no pledge, commits no robbery, but gives his bread to the hungry, and covers the naked with a garment, withholds his hand from iniquity, takes no interest or profit, obeys my rules, and walks in my statutes, he shall not die for his father's iniquity, he shall surely live. As for his father, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, and did what is not good among his people, behold, he shall die for his iniquity. Yet you say, Why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? When the son has done what is just and right, and has been careful to observe all my statutes, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. 
the Son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the Father, nor the Father suffer for the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed, and keeps all my statutes, and does what is just and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him. For the righteousness that he has done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? But when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, shall he live? None of the righteous deeds that he has done shall be remembered. For the treachery of which he is guilty and the sin he has committed, for them he shall die. Yet you say, The way of the Lord is not just. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? When a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. For the injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, when a wicked person turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he shall save his life, because he considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he had committed. He shall surely live, he shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Chapter 19 A Lament for the Princes of Israel and you, take up a lamentation for the princes of Israel, and say, What was your mother? A lioness. Among lions she crouched. In the midst of young lions she reared her cubs. And she brought up one of her cubs. He became a young lion, and he learned to catch prey. He devoured men. The nations heard about him. He was caught in their pit. And they brought him with hooks to the land of Egypt. When she saw that she waited in vain, that her hope was lost, she took another of her cubs and made him a young lion. He prowled among the lions, he became a young lion, and he learned to catch prey. He devoured men and seized their widows. He laid waste their cities, and the land was appalled and all who were in it at the sound of his roaring. Then the nations set against him from provinces on every side, they spread their net over him. He was taken in their pit. With hooks they put him in a cage and brought him to the king of Babylon. They brought him into custody that his voice should no more be heard on the mountains of Israel. Your mother was like a vine in a vineyard planted by the water, fruitful and full of branches by reason of abundant water. Its strong stems became rulers' scepters. It towered aloft among the thick boughs. It was seen in its height with the mass of its branches. But the vine was plucked up in fury, cast down to the ground. The east wind dried up its fruit. They were stripped off and withered. 
As for its strong stem, fire consumed it. Now it is planted in the wilderness, in a dry and thirsty land. And fire has gone out from the stem of its shoots, has consumed its fruit, so that there remains in it no strong stem, no scepter for ruling. This is a lamentation and has become a lamentation. And this is the end of our reading from our Old Testament passage from the book of Ezekiel. Let's take a few moments to recap and reflect. Ezekiel must correct the false outlook that caused many of his day to make excuses for their sin. As we read in the previous chapter, to say, like mother, like daughter, is not always a compliment. In Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 44, sometimes people adopt common phrases to excuse their sin, such as, well, everybody's doing it, or, I can't help it, that was the way I was raised, or, I can't help it, it's the way God made me, I have an Irish temper, or an Italian attitude. Such was the case in Ezekiel's day. They interpreted their history as bad karma. People believed that they were being punished for the sins of their ancestors. People were twisting a popular proverb to excuse their own irresponsibility and fatalism. What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers eat sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge? Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 2. Ezekiel's generation might have misinterpreted what the Ten Commandments taught. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations. The sins of previous generations do have a destructive influence and often a compounding effect on society. Our disobedience to God can harm our family culture for generations. The choices of David and Solomon severely impacted their immediate family, the future generations, and the nation. But God holds each individual accountable and responsible for their own sins. There is such a thing as corporate sin when a culture adopts, for example, a lifestyle of idolatry. Ezekiel taught that the destruction of Jerusalem was due to the sins of previous generations, but this was twisted into a sense of irresponsibility and fatalism among the people. Ezekiel rebukes this excuse-making in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 3. As I live, declares the Lord God, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. Some also make the opposite mistake of believing that because their ancestors were righteous that God must treat them as if they were righteous also. Not so, says Ezekiel. Ezekiel gives the word of the Lord in Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 4. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins will die. Each person has a relationship to God. They are responsible and accountable to God for whether they continue in sin or receive his call to turn and live. Ezekiel then gives examples in chapter 18, verses 5 through 14. In verse 20, he repeats the bottom line. The person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. Ezekiel counters any belief in karma or fatalism by showing that God honors a person's turning away from their sins to a faithful adherence to his word. The Lord says, 
Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live? Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. In the same way, if a person turns away from his righteousness, that is, if he apostatizes, he will be held accountable. None of the righteous things he has done will be remembered. For those who accuse God of being unfair, the Lord has this to say, Is it not your ways that are unjust? Ezekiel 18, verse 25 and 29, also chapter 33, verse 17. Even at this late hour in their history of rebellion, the Lord offers His people an escape from the wrathful judgment that is coming. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 31 and 32. Chapter 19 is comprised of two funeral laments, one for the kings in chapter 19, verses 1 through 9, and one for the people of Judah in chapter 19, verses 10 through 14. The first is concerning the kings of Israel. Ezekiel gives them a lesser status than kings. I am sure that he could think of many reasons. He calls them princes. He starts with a picture of a lioness symbolizing the Davidic line in the tribe of Judah. The leaders of Israel, in this case Judah, are lion cubs who grow up to be lions. The first is Jehoahaz, who is taken to Egypt, in chapter 19, verses 1 through 4, and 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 31 through 34. Jehoiakim's fate is skipped, for he was not sent into exile. He was deposed and replaced by his son Jehoiakim, represented by the second cub in the lament. The second lament focuses on the reign of Zedekiah, once called Mataniah, Jehoiakim's uncle, the brother of Jehoahaz, and the son of Josiah, who was taken to Babylon as a prisoner. In Ezekiel chapter 19, verses 5 through 9, and 2 Kings chapter 24, verses 8 through 17. The song laments the end of the kings of Israel. Once again, Israel is seen as a failed vine. Ezekiel chapter 19, verse 14 reads, And fire has gone out from its branch. It has consumed its shoots and fruit, so that there is not in it a strong branch, a scepter to rule. This is a lamentation and has become a lamentation. Now let's move on to our next stop in our Bible reading tour to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verses 1 through 10 in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 9, the earthly holy place. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations, having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, 
which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. And this concludes our New Testament reading. The writer to the Hebrews reviews the pattern of the tabernacle. He outlines the perfection of Christ's priestly work as it is symbolically foreshadowed in the construction pattern of the tabernacle. In the outer court were the brazen laver and the brazen altar where the priests would wash and the sacrifices were made. The central section of the tabernacle consisted of two rooms. The first was the holy place with the golden altar of incense, the table of showbread, and the lampstand. There was a second room, the innermost sanctum, the holiest of all, which was only accessible through a veil curtain on the east side from the holy place. Within that chamber was the Ark of the Covenant that housed the gold jar of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the stone tables of the covenant law. Above the ark were the cherubim of gold, whose eyes were upon the golden lid upon the chest containing the testimony of the Lord. This lid was called the mercy seat. The golden cherubim would look to see that God's holy demands were satisfied, with the atoning blood being sprinkled on the mercy seat by the high priest on the annual great day of atonement. He dares not enter without the blood of the substitute, lest he be struck dead. The atonement offered was for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. The very nature of these rituals reveal that they were in themselves representative of something more perfect to come. There was no provision for abiding year-round in the presence of the Lord and living in the light of His glory. The priest could not remain in the holiest of all, and there was no witness to the human conscience that the sacrifices could in themselves deal with their sins. These Old Testament sacrifices were placeholders for the perfect sacrifice to come, that of Jesus Christ. He is the antitype for all the types. He is the substance for which all these elements in the tabernacle were but the shadow. The tabernacle served as a menu for the real meal to come, the bread of life. We move on now to our daily stop in the Bible's songbook, the book of Psalms, as we continue to read Psalm 106, verses 32 through 48. Psalm 106, verse 32. They angered him at the waters of Meribah, and it went ill with Moses on their account. For they made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts, and played the whore in their deeds. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hand of the nations, so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. 
Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Psalm 106 continues to call for the praise of God, considering His mercy towards His people, who so often provoked Him to anger. They rebelled against the Spirit of God at Meribah. The people murmured about Moses, the manna, and their having to remain desperately dependent upon God. Even Moses lost his temper, misrepresenting the holiness of God to his people. In the promised land, each tribe fell short of obedience, failing to drive out the enemy. The Lord took note of their distress when he heard their cry, despite their persistent idolatry and violence. He did this because of his unconditional covenant to bless the seed of Abraham. It would be through the seed of Abraham, that is Christ, that his demands for holiness would be satisfied. And he remembered his covenant for their sake and relented according to the greatness of his loving kindness. Psalm 106, verse 45. The psalm closes with a call for salvation in Psalm 106, verse 47, and a call for praise to the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Psalm 106, verse 47. And now for our final stop in our Bible reading tour, we go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, verse 10. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. A friend who is available is better than a relative who is not. The same can be said of an available neighbor. We should do our best to cultivate healthy relationships with them all, friends, family, and neighbor. The Apostle Paul expressed a similar thought in his letter to the Romans. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Now let's go before the Lord in the light of what we have gleaned in our reading today. Father, thank you for giving us access into your presence through the mediation of our faithful, eternal High Priest and King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Your Holy Spirit encourages us to draw near with our consciences cleansed because of the shed blood of Jesus. We come to you by a new and living way. We ask that you purify our hearts, cleanse our spirits, and renew our minds, so that our lives would not be tainted by the defilement of this world's lies and idolatries. We rejoice knowing that we can rest in the perfect provision of Christ's perfect sacrifice. Empower us to extend to others the great grace we have received. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, friends, for joining with me on our Bible reading journey. I hope this was a blessing to you. Some of you have been with me on this road for 313 days now, and we only have 52 days more before we complete reading through all 66 books of the Bible. If you would like to receive a daily email with a written copy of our commentary on each day's portions with some maps, charts, and illustrations, you can subscribe freely at newlife.org. 
And if you have any questions or comments or testimonies, we'd love to hear from you. You can always contact us by writing an email to podcast at newlife.org. You can subscribe wherever you get your uh, podcasts, and you can also follow us on Twitter at One Year Bible Tour Guide. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this community of people who are committed to hearing, reading, studying, meditating upon your Holy Word. We look forward to what you're going to do in this ongoing sanctifying work, and our heart's desire is that we would be more like Jesus. Amen. Shalom.